Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is another episode of our conference breakdown series, and today we're going to talk about the Mountain West. And the top seven teams in the Mountain West are San Diego State, Colorado State, Boise State, Utah State, Nevada, Fresno State, and UNLV. And then at the end of the episode, Jalen and I will choose our sleeper. So let's talk about San Diego State, who just pulled off a huge win yesterday over Boise State to take first place in the conference. Jalen, how dangerous of a team is San Diego State right now? So San Diego State has been a team, has been a dangerous team for the last two seasons overall. They were one of the scariest teams in the country last season at the top of the Mountain West and were six in the AP polls before everything shut down in terms of the NCAA due to COVID. And this year, they pretty much haven't fell off from where they were originally um, coming off of a really good season last year. They definitely put them on the net, put them on the national spot under the national spotlight. I think one of the biggest things about this team is that I love them defensively I think that's one of the biggest things that stands out to me in terms of what they do across the board there's six in points allowed six in the country in points allowed giving up just um just about 60 points per game there's six in the country in terms of field goals um field goal conversion second in the country overall um or uh seventh in the country overall in um, field goal percentage at 38.8% per game. So I think defensively, they have just been one of the scariest teams in the country, and they lock up in a way that definitely marks them up with some of the better teams across the board, which makes a team in San Diego State easily one of the, like, scarier, like, two, three, four seeds that we're going to see. And I think that's going to be one of the interesting things that we see with a team like them in terms of their matchups throughout the bracket, because they're a team that locks up. And if they get some of these high power offenses, I think they're going to make a boys out of men, boys out of men when it comes to some of these teams, because I feel like if these other teams can't hang with them scoring wise because of the defense being too elite, we're going to see a lot of teams getting smacked up by San Diego State throughout the time of March and April. So you mentioned that San Diego State was one of the best defensive teams. They're also one of the best three-point shooting teams in the country. They rank 15th in the NCAA in three-point shooting percentage. And most of that production has come from guys like Jordan Shackle and Terrell Gomez, who are both efficient shooters from the field and from three shackle shooting close to 47% from the field and close to 46% from three. And Gomez is shooting 44% from the field and close to 47% from three. They also have their leading scorer in Matt Mitchell, who's averaging close to 16 points and five and a half rebounds and over a steal a game on close to 46% shooting from the field. He only has one game this season where he has a single digit scoring game. And he had a huge game yesterday where he had 24 points and nine rebounds against Boise State. That win helped San Diego State gain first place in the conference standings, but they have to play Boise State again. And we're going to get into Boise State a little bit later. 
this is a tough game to close out the season. I think if they can win again, they would have a lot of momentum going into the conference tournament. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for them overall is just the fact that they, man, I mean, they are a really well-rounded team that has not really slowed up by any by any means. I mean, the fact that, like I said beforehand, 60, 60 points allowed, being the sixth best in the country out of 347 programs, I mean, that cannot be undermined. And I mean, if it doesn't make any more sense to anybody in terms of just looking at points allowed, their overall defensive rating is seventh in the country. So don't let the points allowed fool you and make you think, oh, they're just not giving up a lot of points. But, you know, maybe teams are shooting relatively well. It's just not, you know, any high scoring games going on because it's the Mountain West or something like that. Like, don't let the conference fool you. They're locking up defensively in a way that should not be that should not go unnoticed. And I think they're, I mean, they're a top 22 team right now, um, a top 24 team overall, but this is a team with a couple more wins going into the NCAA tournament could easily move up the bracket. And like I said, they can secure themselves as probably like one of the most dangerous three seeds we'll see, because I think that's about their range is between three and four. I mean, you would expect Kawhi Leonard to be on this team going back to his San Diego state days. This is maybe the most talented team in the conference, maybe in the entire NCAA. They could be a dangerous three seed or even a four seed, like you mentioned. But moving on to our next team in Colorado State, Jalen, what does Colorado State have to do in order to gain first place in the standings or do well in the conference tournament? So... So the thing about that is just the mere fact that I think they've got some games in there where they can move themselves up. I just think that when it comes to San Diego State, they're just better. (laughs) Like San Diego State is just a better team. Now, the tricky part is there's two different sides to this story in terms of what they have coming up. San Diego State has Boise State again, which, again, you mentioned the big win, but tomorrow they have Boise State again, and Boise State is not going to – I mean, they weren't sleeping on them before, but they sure sure as heck are coming out with a vengeance now. And then they have UNLV, a team that we're going to talk about a little bit later that actually is doing relatively good so far this season despite being, you know – I mean, they're in the middle of the pack about overall in in the conference, but they're a team that does look kind of scary. Versus you look at Colorado State, Air Force back-to-back, New Mexico, Nevada. Now, I'm not, I'm not disrespecting any of those teams or anything, but despite having four games as opposed, to, as opposed to San Diego State's two, I think San Diego State's quality of opponents coming up is definitely significantly higher. But I think Colorado's ability like margin of victory or ability to win these games is significantly higher than San Diego State's for their two games and I still think San Diego State will close out the deal and finish the season with the last two games in their back pocket but I think that if there was any time frame in which there would be some kind of upset of the apple cart it might be that next game against Boise State potentially and I think one singular loss could throw things all out of balance to a certain extent especially with the fact that Colorado's state still has such a large handful of games left over because four is a lot in a season full with cancellations and postponements so i think the fact that they have two cracks at air force is huge and i think closing out with a team in nevada for a conference play is also something that's 
pretty big as well in terms of being able to secure their, you know, their status as the second best team in the conference. I don't know if they can usurp San Diego State, but they sure as heck have the next couple of games to be able to do so. And it actually kind of lines up in their favor, low key, considering the fact that the quality of competition isn't too crazy. Colorado State's one of the most efficient teams shooting from the field. Almost everyone on the team is shooting over 40% from the field. What's interesting about them is that their three-guard lineup of David Roddy, Isaiah Stevens, and Kendall Moore have contributed to their offensive efficiency this season. David Roddy's averaging close to 16 points and nine rebounds, and he's shooting close to 52% from the field. He has seven double-doubles, including their most recent game against Wyoming, where he put up 15 points and 11 rebounds. And Isaiah Stevens and Kendall Moore, two of their most efficient three-point shooters, both of them shooting above 42% from three. Stevens has two double-doubles this season, and they came against Boise State and San Diego State, two of the best teams in the conference. And Moore has had a lot of double-digit scoring games this season, and he's been a solid contributor on the offensive side for this team. So I think that this three-guard lineup is dangerous, but I feel like people could overlook this team because of how talented San Diego State is and how much of a chance Boise State has to overtake San Diego State in the standings. Yeah, I think overall, when you look at what Colorado State is into right now, I think the biggest thing for them when you look at what they do is that, I mean, I think this is a team that definitely is a little bit more predicated as an offensive team as, a, as opposed to San Diego State that's definitely more, like, dangerous defensively. I mean, Colorado State's second in the conference with 76.5 points per game. They assist the ball at a high rate third in the conference with 15.1. They take care of the ball really well in terms of uh, only having 15, averaging 15 turnovers per game, which is honestly – Pretty good considering the assist to turnover ratio is not too wide, but relatively well. And they shoot the three really well, 39.2%. I think those are all really good standouts. The other thing that was really interesting is the stat that you mentioned about everybody shooting at least 45% or better, because pretty much everybody's shooting either near 45% or over 45% from the floor. And literally the only player who's not is Trace Young. He's only played five games and hasn't started any of them. Even Nick Bassett, who's only played three games, <laughs> he's pretty much shooting perfect from the floor. Other than that, everybody else has played a significant amount of games, um, pretty much played all 18 for the most part, except for um, Kendall Moore, who played, uh, who's played 17. Everybody else has played um, in these 18 games and is shooting, like you said, 45% or better, which I think the fact that that kind of clip is across the board just shows you how team-oriented their basketball play, their style of basketball is. And I think that goes to show you why their efficiency is where it is. I mean, they're also first in the conference in terms of two-point percentage as well. So I think you combine that with the fact that they're one of the better assisting teams in the conference. They share the ball well. They shoot the ball relatively efficient across the board. They're just a really well-balanced team. And although it doesn't seem like everybody's averaging 10 points per game <laughs> while throwing in the fact that everybody's so efficient, I think that the fact that they have that three-headed monster of Roddy Stevens and Moore at the top and that everybody can, you know, 
everybody can shoot the ball relatively well. You never look at somebody and wonder whether or not they could be trusted in the closing moments of a ball game because everybody shoots the ball super well. So they're going to be a team that I think is going to be really good at closing games in conference play. And I think that's going to be huge in the tournament because ironically, I don't see too many teams coming out of the Mountain West in this tournament. And so that means they're going to have to kind of make sure that they secure their top spot around this top three area where they stand right now. Moving on now to our next team in Boise State. Jalen, how much of an effect does Derek Alston Jr. have on this team? So I really like Derek Alston Jr. And ironically enough, it was really interesting that we're doing this podcast today because I was just listening to a guy in Sam, Sam Vecini, a guy who does a lot of NBA draft work. And he was talking about Alston as a potential top 60 guy in this, in, in this upcoming NBA draft, 6'9 guard, 190 pounds. And I mean, he, he is, he's a stud 18.2 points per game, 3.4 rebounds per game. 2.3 assists per game. I think those are all really standout level uh, statistics. I think one of the biggest things that stands out to me, though, overall is 51% from two, 42% from three, 85% from the free throw line. So we got a near 50, 40, 90 guy, which is something that is very unprecedented, even in, especially in the NBA, is something that, that is very unprecedented. But in college, it's one of those things that definitely has been a bit of a struggle too um, in terms of being able to see guys shoot the ball at such a relatively efficient clip. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Ryan, I think we might have actually had Derek Alston as an unsung hero once upon a time in, um, in the NCAA. So shout out to bro. He's been extremely consistent since we shouted him out and he's been – killing it all season overall so I think Derek Alston is one of those players that I think is going to make Boise State really scary as the third best team in the Mountain West and I think that's the tricky part about the fact that San Diego State has to see them again and I think Derek Alston's out for blood this time so I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he how he comes into his own in this game and how he puts Boise State on his back against top level competition because honestly games like these against San Diego State I think are going to define what his draft stock looks like moving towards the end of the season he's a senior so the declaration is possible and if he's going to be an NBA prospect I think he's a guy that against top level competition if he plays well could squeak himself into the bottom bottom part of the second round. We did mention, Jalen, that Derek Alston Jr. was one of our first unsung hoopers. We were talking about NCAA unsung hoopers, and we were looking outside the Power Five. And this is a guy that I brought up because mainly he is a bucket getter. You mentioned some of his stats and how he's averaging close to 50, 40, 90. This is the perfect time for him to be playing his best basketball. Looking at the last four beams. 27 points on 50% shooting from the field, 75% shooting from three against UNLV. 26 points on 47% shooting from the field and 50% shooting from three against Utah State in the first game. 23 points on 47% shooting from the field and close to 43% from three against Utah State in the second game. 29 points on close to 48% shooting from the field 
and 37.5% from three in an overtime loss to San Diego State. He also has multiple games this season with two steals. So he can get it done on both sides of the floor. And I feel like Alston Jr. is going to be the guy that Boise State relies on when they need scoring. To say he's out for revenge may be an understatement because he could end up having a 30-10 and 10 game against San Diego State. Yeah, I think it's going to be very hard-pressed against San Diego State considering their defense is so elite. But I think that if there was any guy that I would trust in this conference to be able to go ahead and get his own buckets against one of the better defensive teams in the country, I think it would be Derek Alston. I think one other thing I want to point out about him is just how balanced his game is. I thought that that was something really interesting when I was looking at his statistics. Obviously, the 50-40-90 part of things definitely is something that's really intriguing. But like talking about the way that he goes about getting it, 6.33 point attempts alongside with 6.42 point attempts. So he's averaging just under 13 attempts from the floor um, overall in terms of shooting attempts. But it's a very balanced, even keel split between playing inside and playing behind the arc. And I think that that balanced style of game is what really keeps him so controlled. And I think that's one of the other things that makes him extremely dangerous as um, an ABA prospect because he's a legit three-level scorer that I think is going to be extremely dangerous moving forward. I think another guy who I think we just need to show some love to um, is Abu Kigab. I think he's a guy who, I mean, he's this is his second year with Boise State after having his time with Oregon, and it was kind of hard-pressed. He never really played much at Oregon, but you can see that with the legit playing time this season, he's taken a significantly a significant jump from where he was um, earlier on in his college career. I mean, he's played in all 23 games, started all 23 games, So far this season, shooting nearly 48% from the floor, which is huge. He's struggling from three, but he's never really been a high volume three point shooter. Um, He's one of those guys who just he takes about three three point attempts per game and hits barely one of them per game. He's never really been a guy that they're going to ask to shoot the heck out of the ball. So he doesn't play to that, but he's averaging 12.5 points per game. Um, along with nearly a steal and a half per game, two assists, and nearly six rebounds. I think those are all very huge things for this team, as I think that Derek Alston and Abu Kigab are two people on this team that really kind of elevate Boise State and make them very dangerous moving forward. Marcus Shaver is another one that averages 10 points per game, um, 10.6 points per game and 4.6 rebounds. I think that's another guy who definitely stands out out the the page, um, shooting nearly 40% himself on 3.2 attempts from the three-point line. So I think that three-headed group is really the the main, the primary function of this team. But Derek Austin, man, (laughs) that is the guy that is going to make, you know, Boise State a legitimate threat coming out of the Mountain West. And I wouldn't be surprised if Abu Kajab and Marcus Shaver Jr. have good games. I mean, they've been two of the more consistent double-digit scorers outside of Derek Alston Jr. I think that it, w- it wouldn't be surprising to see that Kajab and Shaver both have some good games in the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament. Moving on now to Utah State. Jalen, who do you believe is a player that stands out for Utah State? So, I mean... 
the player who comes to mind is Nemes Kita. Um, I mean, he's the guy who I mean, he, I mean, overall, he's the guy that just seems to be Mr. Do It All as a legit two-way player at seven foot tall, even. I mean, built like golly. Built, built built like somebody out of a uh, out of a wrestling film. I mean, the dude is is legitimate, physical, big body down low, seven foot, two hundred and forty five pounds, even even kill. And he's a guy right now that's averaging fourteen point um point two points per game, nine point two rebounds, two point eight assists, nearly a steal and a half per game, and three blocks per game, which is freaking insane. By the way, that is like. That is some crazy stuff right there. I mean, he's probably single-handedly the reason why this team is top 30 in blocks in the country. It's just because he single-handedly is carrying with three blocks per game while no other player on his team is even averaging a single block per game. That should go and tell you something, that a guy can single-handedly carry you into the top 30 in blocks per game while also – this team being a relatively um, strong defensive team, when we talk about what they do in terms of keeping points off the board, they're also 26 in points allowed in terms of only giving up about 63 points per game in the country, which I feel like is huge, along with being 17th in the country in terms of field goal percentage allowed, but uh, standing at 17th in the country um, with uh, only allowing 39.5% for opponents shooting-wise. So... I think that Nemes Kita is obviously the guy that stands out the most just because he is truly a two-way player at seven foot tall for this team. I think that it's really interesting how this team has kind of like transitioned a bit because if you look at this team right now, like they've improved significantly from the defensive end. So if we look at where they were beforehand, last season they were 36 in the country in points allowed and they were they had they were 19th in the country in terms of defensive rating this year they're 26 in terms of points allowed and they're 12th in terms of defensive rating so they've improved defensively despite having a guy in sam merrill last year who was a really good standout for him for them who's now you know in the nba and although he was more of an offensive-oriented guy, he was a guy who played very scrappy defense and helped with setting the tone defensively as a guy who played off sheer effort. And now they have a guy in Quito who is literally a defensive presence down low and makes them extremely dangerous as a rim pr- protector. So I think that this team is really scary. And don't go into the paint, bro. <laughs> Your shot might end up in the fourth row. You mentioned Sam Merrill, who was one of their best three-point shooters on the team, and he was also one of the best three-point shooters coming out of the draft. You also mentioned he was a solid defender as well, and I feel like it was hard for Utah to find or replace a guy like Sam Merrill because he was basically the heart of that team. And now you have another guy named Miyaskita, who I would argue is the heart of this team. Let's talk about Nemius Keita more, just outside of his stats. The team allows the offense to go through him. He is averaging the most points, the most rebounds, and he has nine double-doubles this season. He actually put up back-to-back double-doubles this season 
against Boise State, who's one of the best teams in the conference. He ends up putting up 32 points, 10 rebounds, and two blocks in the first game. And then he puts up 30 points, 11 rebounds, two blocks, and three steals in the second game. It's almost unimaginable to see that there is a guy who's seven feet tall who is a two-way player. And when you have a guy who's seven feet tall who is your leading scorer, your leading rebounder, your leader in blocks, he leads the team in steals, and he leads the team in field goal percentage. You want to talk about a guy who's important to the success of this team. Nemius Kita is a guy who is important to the success so far for Utah State. And I think that's one of the most interesting things, too, about it is we're talking about the transition from Sam Merrill to Nemius Kita. And you look at it and you just kind of view it as like, very interesting that despite, you know, not being able to have many practices and things like that, they transitioned from a team that has relied heavily on strong perimeter plays and now leaning on a guy who does pretty much all his damage inside. This is not a guy who shoots threes as a stretch big. He's in a less dominating kind of way, especially considering the, the, the level of competition he's playing against, which is not significantly lower, but definitely lower than what's in the Big 12. He's kind of Yudoka uh, Azabuki-esque in terms of what he what what he meant to Kansas. And Nemius Kita, I feel like, is on that similar level in terms of what his overall impact is for this team in Utah State because of the fact that I feel like, like you mentioned beforehand, there's a lot played through him. I think there's a lot less. Um, I think there's, a, or actually, I would say there's a little bit more of an emphasis on playing through him in terms of actually drawing things up for him versus Yudoka. I felt like he just needed certain paint touches, but otherwise, he was just a very strong rebounder that played strong off the glass, and that's what helped facilitate a lot of that. But of course, I think the other thing too is obviously from a defensive standpoint, and it's ironic that Yudoka Azubuki is now next to one of the best defensive rim protectors in the league, and Rudy Gobert because Yudoka was a relatively good shot blocker in college. And I think that Nemius Kita falls into a similar category as that as well. So of course, I don't know if they're on a similar talent space, but in terms of what they mean for their team and what they're being asked to do, it is very similar. So I think that that's something that should definitely stand out as a team that had to transition significantly from having one of the better three-point shooters in the league to having not very much of a three-point oriented style of play anymore playing through Nemius Kita down low. So moving on now to our next team in Nevada, Jalen, they have had four straight games either postponed or canceled. Do you think that Nevada will be able to not only beat Utah State twice, but also beat Colorado State? So I think that is definitely in the cards. I think coming off of four straight wins with two dubs against UNLV and two dubs against Boise State should definitely get the blood pumping. I think that that's, that's definitely something that should stand out. Now, two back-to-back losses against Wyoming is definitely a bit questionable because when we look at the standings, I mean, Wyoming is probably – it, we, you know, we always tend to do our sleeper teams. Wyoming is probably that team for us, especially because they have these wins against teams like Nevada. But I think overall, I think the biggest thing that stands out for me with them is just the mere fact that because they they're riding this hot streak. Ryan, sometimes when you're heading into the NCAA tournament or even conference play, 
sometimes it's just about the team that's the hottest at the right time. And I think that right now you could argue that Nevada is falling into that category, into that category as one of those teams that is just really good at a really good time. Now, I don't think they're going to be able to close out Utah two straight times. I don't think they're going to be able to do what they did um, to, Bo- uh, to Boise State and to UNLV, to Utah State, just out of the fact that I, I think that Utah State just has a completely different style of play than those other two teams. And I don't think that Nevada has the kind of inside presence to hang with a guy who we've been just raving about for the last two minutes in Nemius Keita. I think that's going to be really hard of a matchup for them to be able to line up with, especially considering the fact that if you just kind of take a look at the circumstances that they're working with, I think the guy that you're expecting to go up against Nemius Keita is Warren Washington. And I hate to say it, but if we're talking about having an inside presence battle, Nevis keeps us killing Warren. Sorry, it's not even close, unfortunately. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see where they go in terms of that. But I, they got two bucket getters uh, up top in terms of what they got coming out the backcourt. I'll let you kind of go into what they got in terms of that dynamic with Grant Shearfield and Desmond Cambridge. But I think that they can be dangerous against Utah State, and I think if they can at least snag one of those off, that'll be huge. Now, Colorado State is another animal, but I think that the backcourt that they have is just lethal enough to give them a puncher's chance. And it's the closing game of the season, and I think it's going to mean a lot more to them than it's going to mean to Colorado State, and that's going to have their antennas peeled, uh, turned up to, to the max as a game that should be circled on the calendar to close out the season. I feel like if you're expecting guys to step up, it's this backcourt of Grant Sherfield and Desmond Cambridge. I think that there's so much riding on the line for Nevada. I think Nevada right now, this could be a team that ends up being either a seven seed or an eight seed. I think that this team does have a lot of talent. I think it really just falls on their backcourt. I think they have maybe the most underrated backcourt, not only in the conference, but maybe in the entire NCAA. You mentioned they have two bucket getters, Grant Sherfield, averaging close to 19 points a game and six assists. He's shooting 44% from the field. The last five games, he's played some of his best basketball. 26 points against Wyoming in the loss that you mentioned. 15 points and 11 assists in the win against UNLV, 18 points in another win against UNLV. And then Nevada beats Boise State twice in a row, and Grant Sherfield goes off for 20 points and 14 assists and three steals against Boise State in the first game. And then he goes off for 29 points, eight assists, and six rebounds and two steals in the second game against Boise State. We can't forget about Desmond Cambridge Jr., who's averaging 14 points a game close to four and a half rebounds, shooting 41% from the field. He's a guy who, like I mentioned with Grant Sherfield, this is another guy who stepped up against Boise State almost at the right time in the season, just looking at both the games they played in. 21 points, four assists, three rebounds, and a steal in the first game. He was also shooting 57% from the field and 44% from three. And then he put up 17 points in the second game against Boise State while shooting 50% from the field. I think in order to beat Utah State, they have to rely on their backcourt. I think that I would take Nevada's backcourt over Utah State's backcourt. 
you mentioned the inside presence with Nimi Iskita. I don't think that Nevada has a guy who can match up well with, with Nimi Iskita in the paint. So I think they're going to really have to rely on their backcourt to get a lot of their scoring production. I mean, their perimeter play is going to be huge overall in terms of being able to close out this season because at the end of the day, that's where their primary production comes from overall. Um, Shearfield is the floor general, 16, 16.2 assists per game. I think he's going to be huge in all of this because I think he's going to have to continue to uh, you know, fire on all cylinders in order for this team to be able to close out the year. I don't know if they can close out the year 3-0, and but I do think that if they split with Utah State, that'll give them a lot of really good momentum going into that final game of the season. So I think that'll be something to really touch out, touch on. Um, or something really worth keeping an eye on in terms of their overall tournament hopes. Because I think if they can close out the season two and one, I think that significantly increases their chances of not only being a legit tournament team, but it also increases any Nevada fans' hope of them being a legit, you know, second day at the bare minimum team in the NCAA tournament as a team that can advance past the first round and, you know, make at least some noise in the NCAA tournament. Moving on now to our next team in Fresno State. Jalen, where do you believe Fresno State stands in the Mountain West? So we we get we're, – we're now on the sixth team overall in the Mountain West, and this is where the, the actual drop-off hits to me, where I feel as though – we just haven't seen really anything from Fresno State that tells us that there's some kind of actual legit player in the Mountain West. I mean, 10 and 9 overall, 8 and 9 in the conference. I mean, there's nothing statistically that really stands out because they're not really great at much. I mean, they're one of the better offensive rebounding teams in the in the in the conference but the only thing that they can really put their namesake on is the fact that they lead the conference in free throw attempts but they're the 10th they're the 10th best or i guess you could say the the 10th worst worst free throw shooting team at 65 percent so they get to the line about 20 times per game but they're not converting so unfortunately this is about where we get to about this is the part where we get to about the significant drop off for this team, for, for teams in the Mountain West, where you have to look at this squad and kind of wonder if there's really anything they can do towards the bottom half of this season to kind of rectify things because they don't really look like a very well-put-together ball club in terms of, you know, being very dangerous. Now, they're, I mean, they're one of those teams that have definitely been relatively cap-strapped as well if you want to look at what they what they have coming in. I mean, Dion, Dion Stroud, he's a transfer from UTEP. That's something that you have to factor in and consider in this COVID-riddled season. Isaiah Hill, he was at Tulsa last season. Junior Ballard, he was a guy who was at Cal Poly last season. He was there for the last two years before this year. I mean, those are their top four. Um, those are their top four uh, provo- uh, uh, top four players. If you put Orlando Robinson at the top, who is they're probably their most their be, their best player but probably their 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 leader in terms of being a guy who's actually been here the last 2 years because then after junior ballard you go right down 
the next guy up, Jordan Campbell. Dude was on Oregon. The dude was on Oregon State two years ago. He so he's only been a part of the Fresno State program for two years himself. And last year was his first season with them as well. So this team is relatively younger, but they've also got a lot of very brand new parts. With all the transfers or with a lot of guys, if we look across the board, there's a handful of guys that um are in their sophomore season. This is a really really young team four guys who are juniors no seniors and pretty much everybody are freshmen and sophomores young team ton of ton of transfers in a COVID season it feels like we mentioned this in another in another podcast about the continuity aspect of the NBA and also college basketball this is a team that I feel like maybe might have something um but I, don't, I just don't think we're going to see it this year, considering the fact that they just have too many interchangeable parts with no real time to build any actual on-court chemistry. You mentioned the youth of this team. Their average experience, their average years of experience is just over a year, 1.2, according to sportsreference.com. I think another interesting thing is that they're able to get to the line a lot. They shoot just about 20 attempts from the line. That's actually first in the conference. So they are doing stuff right. However, they are doing stuff wrong. Third in the conference in turnovers. So they, they turn the ball over a lot. It's kind of hard for them to keep the ball on their side. They do get to the line, which is great. But how many of the shots are they making at the line? I think they're a real bright spot on this team. I would say is Orlando Robinson. Averaging close to 15 points a game and nine rebounds. Just under a block a game as well. He actually leads the team in blocks with just under a block a game. Also has a steal a game as well. Shooting close to 48% from the field, 39% from three. And just looking at the free throw percentage of this team as well, like I mentioned, they get to the line a lot, but they're not the most efficient free throw shooting team. They're only shooting just under 65% from the line. So I think that's something that's that they've really struggled with throughout the season. I think if they're able to win a lot of these games to close out the season, it would have to be on the back of Orlando Robinson. Just looking at the last four games for Robinson, a double-double against Air Force, 21 and 11, a loss to San Diego State, 17 points and 13 rebounds and three steals in that game as well. And then another loss to San Diego State, 16 points, four rebounds. He also had another steal, but in that game, he was shooting close to 78% from the field. And then he, he really struggled in the last game against UNLV, even though they were able to pull out the win, he had 12 points and six rebounds along with a steal on the block. He was not shooting that well in that game, only had 27% from the, from the field, 25% from three. I think it's going to be tough for Fresno state to win a lot of these games. You mentioned Deion Stroud as another guy who could really step up for this team. I feel like there's just a lot of different factors that are holding them back, whether it's turnovers, free throw, free throw efficiency, lack of experience. I feel like one day Fresno, Fresno state could be a great team. Yeah. I just, think the biggest thing for them is just the fact that I, I agree with you. I think the fact that they get to the line so much is something that should not be slept on. I think that, actually is their strongest asset overall 
And I mean, they're a top 60 team in the country in terms of free throw attempts, which I think is also something that should be really commended because it means that despite all of these guys being young, they're playing relatively aggressive. But at the end of the day, I think the difference between winning and losing really would come down to if they can improve from the free throw line. If they can improve as a free throw shooting team, that significantly turns their overall success around in a really bright and a really roundabout kind of way because since they're getting to the line so much they're basically leaving points on the table and honestly there's a handful of situations where we could probably look at these games where they probably they probably lost themselves some situations like I mean honestly if we look at the most recent game uh against UNLV that was a team um that they they beat by just about three points on the back of Isaiah Hill, who had 19 points per game. That I think I think when they play a game like the one they did against Fresno State, where they had Stroud with 18, Holland with 12, Hill with 19, Robinson with 12. I think that's that aggressive style of play is when they they are really they are really dangerous. Then you have the games like San Diego State, where we know how they strap up on defense, and I completely understand that. But that's a game where they only get production from two guys in Robinson and Stroud, and then nobody else besides um, besides Jordan Campbell can even crack five points. Now, I guess you can chalk that up to San Diego State's defense. But, I mean, I don't know if that's relatively accurate because I wouldn't say that Utah State is nearly the same defensive team as San Diego State is. And in that game against Utah State earlier in the season, nobody cracked double digits. So this is just a team that's really inconsistent, but they're also really young too. So like you said beforehand, they have the, they have the potential to maybe become something down the line, but they just have too many, too many new parts, a lot of redshirt guys, a lot of transfer guys, not enough time to really get any practice time in. I feel like they've got something brewing up, but I can't necessarily label them as a dangerous team right now. Moving on now to our last team in UNLV. Jalen, do you believe UNLV has a chance to make the NCAA tournament? So, unfortunately, Ryan, uh, for those who are old heads in the, the, the NCAA game, this is not the running Rebels of old at all. This is, this is not really that kind of physical, you know, powerhouse kind of team. This is a team that I feel like is, is – it's a good squad. It's a very um, – upperclassmen littered squad too which i think is also very important to note but um i i don't know man they fall into a very similar category for me um as fresno state in a lot of different ways just because they still all despite being on the opposite end of the spectrum with a lot more older guys they just they're, they're a, a good handful of their production comes from guys who just have not played on the court with each other. I mean, Moses Wood is a guy he didn't, I mean, he's not a big contributor for them, but Moses Wood is a guy from Tulane who redshirt last year. He didn't play last year. Nikhil Blake, this is his freshman season. Uh, Cheek Mubak, uh Diong is one of their longest standing guys who's been here all four years. But then you look at their top three producers, Caleb Grill. He was at Iowa State last year. David Jenkins, he was at South Dakota State. Um, 
the year, uh, not last year. He had red, he had a red shirt last year and was at South Dakota, South Dakota State the two years prior. And then Bryce Hamilton is a guy who's been another mode of consistency for them um, in terms of being here the last three seasons. He's obviously their best player with 18.7 points per game, 6.1 rebounds per game, and 3.3 assists. So, like, when you look across the board, like, they're starting, they're starting five slash their top five to six producers are not really guys who've actually really played with each other. And that's another one of those situations in terms of interchangeable, interchangeable parts. So I, 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 again, I think Bryce Hamilton is legit. I think that another year of school will probably do him really good. And I think that he can make UNLV pretty scary next season um, with a little bit more continuity built up between this team. But Man, like I said, this is not the running rebels of old for sure. But I mean, they've got some, they got some good, they got some games in there that definitely make you scratch your head and wonder whether or not they could be a lot better of a team right now than they already are. I think UNLV, there's some talent there. I don't know how much there is, though. I think that Bryce Hamilton, you mentioned, is a guy who can really step up for this team. He's averaging close to 19 points a game, six rebounds, and 3.3 assists. I think that he's a guy who, if he comes back for his senior year, can make this team great. Another guy who I think can make this team great is David Jenkins Jr., another junior who could possibly come back his senior year. He's averaging close to 15 points a game, two and a half rebounds, one and a half assists a game. It's just interesting that this team has not put up the same kind of numbers that they did the year before. Just looking at last season's numbers statistically, they were second in the conference in points per game. They were one of the best rebounding teams in the country. They were first in total rebounds, first in offensive rebounds in the conference last year. And they were a top 30 rebounding team in the entire NCAA, they were 29th in total rebounds with 39 per game and 24th in offensive rebounds with 12 per game. They were second in the conference in terms of points per game with 76. So they were getting it done last year. But I feel like it just comes down to a lot of the players that they didn't have the year before. Amari Hardy was a huge guy that was there for them last year, averaging 14 and a half points a game last season. Donnie Tillman, another guy, 10 points a game, close to five rebounds. Elijah Matru Long, who was averaging close to 13 points a game and three rebounds, he was a senior last season. But I just think that it's a combination of guys that they lost from last season and the production that they took with them. They've had a lot of roles to fill this season, and I feel like UNLV has really struggled to do so. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is for me is there's like there's a few games that I just want to point out that I feel like should give UNLV fans a little bit of hope in terms of what this could potentially become. I want to start with the two games against Colorado State earlier in the season. Um, Hamilton had 23 points and six rebounds in a game where they only lost to Colorado State 74 to 71. I think that should I think that's notable. They followed up that up with another game back-to-back games against Colorado State in which Hamilton went for 28. 
along with David Jenkins Jr., who had 29 in that game, and they lost 80 to 83. Those are two really close games against a top-level opponent in their conference. Then if you go down and you look at some of the other games that they've had against some of the better teams in their conference, they had a game where they held Utah State to 56 points and won 59 to 56 in a game where UNLV pretty much did it over a group effort. I mean, Jenkins and Hamilton both had 14, Wood had 10. It wasn't anything significantly crazy. It was just a low-scoring defensive battle between the two teams. And then even more recently, there was their most recent game against Boise State on February 13th, where they lost the game one point, um, a one-possession game, 61-59, to in which – Again, another game where nobody really stood out too crazy. There was Jacobs Jr. with 19 points, but Bryce Hamilton only had 13 in that game, 13 and seven rebounds in that game. But what I'm going to say off of all of this is that they've had a lot of close game encounters with a lot of top-level teams in their conference with Mind you, these are teams with a lot of returners, a lot of teams that were kind of already built to be winning programs in the Mountain West as squads that were relatively good last season and are kind of just building off of last year in this season, considering the fact that they didn't get to produce in the NCAA tournament last year. So, I mean, they're playing against top quality competition within their conference and hanging around despite being a squad that kind of needs to you know, gel all the pieces together. So it's kind of interesting to see what they could become because they do have a ha- a good handful of upperclassmen on their team. So it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic changes things. But moving forward, I mean, considering how many games they have sample size-wise against some of the better teams in their conference, there's a pretty good chance that this team could turn into something a little scary moving forward if they can get those guys to gel maybe next season. So moving on now to our sleeper, Jalen, who is the sleeper in the Mountain West? So I kind of teased this earlier in in talking about a matchup with them, but I think it's Wyoming. Um, This is similar to where I stand with a lot of teams once you get this low in the conference, where it kind of does have a lot to do with not just who's the next best team in terms of like conference record, but just overall, like overall potential, right? Like, San Jose State, Air Force, and New Mexico are the only other teams. None of them have at least seven wins. The rest of the conference has double-digit wins overall. The other thing is that Wyoming is really only one one win away from being tied with UNLV in terms of record and conference play. Throw in there that San Jose State does not have a single win on the road Air Force does only has one win on the road, one and six on the road. And then New Mexico is three and seven on the road, which, I mean, they haven't had a single home game yet. They've been playing on a lot of neutral sites. So that's relatively unfortunate. But Wyoming is just the next best team left over. I mean, overall, 12 and nine record, six and five at home, four and four, at even 500 on the road, six and eight in conference play. I mean, I think the biggest thing that stands out for Wyoming is also just the fact that they have some relatively good, some relatively good games, and they are very a very small two point loss to Colorado State on February fourth. 
Um, I think that's worth saying something. I think two big wins against Nevada is relatively big as well. I just think that they've had really tough games against teams like Boise State, San Diego State. I mean, they've had a couple of run-ins with some buzzsaws that are no joke. I mean, they beat Oregon State earlier in the year, which I think is a pretty decent win, although Oregon State is not some powerhouse in the Pac-12 right now. But I'll tell you this. They have two games coming up against UNLV and Wyoming. They close out the season with UNLV. I think that's a game that needs to literally be like circled on their calendar because that'll be the difference between them being the seventh best team, seventh best team and the eighth best team in the conference. And that could be the difference in having a tournament berth. So I think there's two different factors that I want to look at. And you touched it on one of them. That was the game against UNLV. I think that that game is going to mean a lot for them. You want to talk about must-win games in order to in order to get a better chance at the NCAA tournament. If they beat San Jose State and UNLV loses, that's huge for this Wyoming team, considering that they have a team that's built for the NCAA tournament. I think Marcus Williams, if I had to pick a star, would be the guy on this team, the go-to guy on this team, is averaging close to 16 points a game and four assists with 1.2 steals a game. He's shooting 45% from the field. I would also look at another guy in Hunter Maldonado, who's averaging close to 12 and seven a game. And he's also shooting 40% from the field. He's another guy who I would expect to have a big game for this Wyoming team. He had a huge double-double in the win against New Mexico, 14 points and 16 rebounds. He also had a steal to go along. I just think that it's going to have to come down to the two-guard lineup of Williams and Maldonado for Wyoming to close out the season strong, and and I think they have to make a, a strong run in the conference tournament. Yeah, I think that overall, I mean, when it looks at when you look at Wyoming, like I said beforehand, that last game is going to be really important. I mean, the game against UNLV is pretty much a definer for this season for them. I think that they have a legitimate chance. But I think overall, I mean, if I'm naming somebody who's a dark horse, I don't know how much of a dark horse you can be as a third best team in the conference. But I think Boise State is one of the scariest teams coming out of the Mountain West. Honestly, I think San Diego State is a known commodity. We've seen them over the last couple of seasons be kind of scary. And last year in particular kind of gave us the blueprint as to what they could potentially be. The Aztecs are definitely a lockdown defensive team. But I think that having Alston Jr. on the team for Boise State is going to be a really, really big wild card for them moving forward. And I think that Boise State is legit scary. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which team in the Mountain West do you believe could make a huge run in the NCAA tournament? This has been a great episode today on the Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.